It's time for JT the Brick. The years are ticking off, JT. <laughs> it doesn't matter who you're playing. You know, you got to show up. you got to play at the highest level. You're not going to win in this league. JT the Brick. Hey, Raider Nation, let that sink in. Since 2018, he has 25 interceptions. Raider fans go crazy around here when a guy gets two for the entire season. Anytime, JT. And uh, hi to all my uh, Raider fans out there. And go Raiders. And now... Here's JT the Brick. JT, as we continue on, and I want to continue to pay tribute to my friend John Clayton, who passed away over the weekend. And it hurts. It hurts for everyone in the NFL, all the great listeners all around the country, everybody that I know who loved football, loved John Clayton. He truly was a gentleman, a brilliant reporter, a great content provider, and one of the nicest guys I've ever met in and out of radio. I was up in Lake Tahoe this weekend skiing when I got the news, and I was with my friends, uh, good friends, when I got the news of John Clayton's passing, and I'm happy I was around my friends because they could instantly see that I was really hurting, like a lot of people who are really hurting, because John Clayton meant a lot to me. And I've read a lot of tributes over the last couple of days about him and so many people on social media stepping up and talking about John Clayton and the impact they had on his career. Just quickly for me, because I don't want to talk about my friendship and relationship too much with him, because so many people had a deeper and better friendship. But John was always kind to me. And John was always someone that whenever I asked him to come on the show, the producers I work with asked him, he came on. And you'll see that in all the mentions around people in sports talk radio. My buddy Scott Kaplan in San Diego, uh, friends of mine throughout the Raider Nation, friends of mine throughout the AFC West, the column he wrote for the Washington Post, all the times he was on national radio, and then obviously the hits that made him the most famous on ESPN over the time that he was there. He was just a kind soul, but he knew more than everybody. I really believe that the professor had as much knowledge of anybody who ever covered the NFL. And a couple of quick stories. You know, over the years, he would show up at Raiders training camp and I would be there. And when, it, when I started with the team or, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, he would come to training camp and he knew me from radio and coming on radio and we instantly hit it off in person. We had a lunch or two together in Napa, in the lobby, lobby of the Napa Marriott. And he would stay there or around that area. And he would come to another practice. And you would see him around the hotel. And you just saw that he was a grinder. This was his life. And remember, at that time, John was going to camp, to camp, to camp. So if he came to cover the Oakland Raiders at that time, it was just for a a night or maybe two nights. But it was just such a warm welcome when I would see him. And he would remember my name early on and come and talk to me. And then over the years... The Raiders seemed to play a lot in Seattle, and he became the sideline reporter for the Seattle Seahawks, and I was the TV sideline reporter for the Raiders on television in the preseason. And you want to talk about a guy who was meticulous. He would come to me on the field. I remember it was raining. We were in a tunnel once. It felt like the Raiders, and I should be able to look this up, played five of six seasons in Seattle in the preseason. And when John was on the sidelines, he would come up to me, And he would have the football card with the roster. And he'd go player by player with me. Who's healthy? He would be quizzing me. And luckily, I I thought I knew what I was talking about. And he'd go position group to position group. Who's this backup tight end? How did he look in camp playing in the offensive line? Some of the questions I couldn't answer. 
because they were so in-depth on a particular player. And I just gave him the best I could give him, and he appreciated it. He really appreciated it. And then I, in return, would ask him about some of the players on Seattle. You know, on a broadcast, you would never talk about a Seattle player. If a running back had a breakout game, you'd know about him on the broadcast. And whoever was on the call, if it was Rich Gannon on color at the time, whoever it was, they would explain, this player's having a breakout game. Well, they weren't going to come down to me on the Raiders' sideline to comment on that player. I was only there to comment on the Raiders. But John would help me and help me become aware of who the breakout player could be in that game. And he'd be there with his little hat on pulled down over his head. He'd have a hood if it was raining. And the professor would come over to the Raiders' sideline before the game. And then I interviewed him probably 50, 60 times in my career. I can't even count or recall. We're about to play an interview I had with him uh, recently, but I just wanted you to hear his voice again in our format here because John Clayton was special. And over the last couple of weeks, I've lost a couple of friends, and it's been hard. And John Clayton was not in my inner circle, nor was I in his inner circle, but he treated me like a friend. And I'll tell you, the times he was in Canton, Ohio for the Hall of Fame, and I was there for the induction of George Allen, or there for the induction of Ken Stabler, wherever it was, I sought after and looked for John Clayton and found him. And we would talk, and we'd have a nice conversation. And inevitably, he'd come on the radio show two, three weeks later, and we'd talk about the Hall of Fame. I put him on the Mount Rushmore all-time of NFL insiders. I repeat, I don't know who's on your Mount Rushmore. He's on mine because of his knowledge, his work ethic, and how he prepared for his job every day. If you go to the Seattle Times, Larry Scott, uh, excuse me, Larry Stone wrote a great piece, a tribute to John Clayton. A couple of parts of this column. John Clayton was the best reporter I ever saw. Fearless, relentless, tireless. He made it clear, as well as he was connected in the arena as anyone could possibly be. He went on to write about his work ethic and how he showed up for work. The only thing he loved more than his wife, Pat, whom he met when she worked at the News Tribune as a clerk, they were the perfect couple, a mutual adorant fest. And when Pat was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, John became a dedicated caregiver and vocal advocate for improved benefits for those with MS. How was that? I mean, anybody who's been a caregiver before and can help out others, John stopped his life to care for his wife. But he goes on to write in the Seattle Times, Clayton was far more than a quirky television personality. The nuggets of information he conveyed during his, quote, inside the huddle segments made him an invaluable news source, especially for fantasy players. President Obama once said he never set his fantasy lineup until he saw Clayton's injury updates. And during Seattle road trips, when all the other riders would go out to dinner on Saturday night, Clayton would invariably stay in his room to update his database, his pride and joy. When day, uh, game, uh, day, game day came, John wanted to be up to date on every team's active roster and salary figures. I once had top agent Lee Steinberg tell me that John's understanding of the intricacies of the salary cap rivaled that of anyone working in the industry. Six-time NFL Executive of the Year Bill Polian, Hall of Famer, told the Tacoma News Tribune for a profile in 2013 of Clayton, quote, Having a discussion with him is like having a discussion with another general manager. It's as thorough as any. 
as if you're talking with a peer. John Clayton is someone I looked up to and I considered a friend. Here's a conversation I recently had with the great John Clayton. Joining us is John Clayton, the premier NFL insider, the Hall of Fame voter, Washington Post, and 710 ESPN in Seattle. His great column, Six Big Questions for the First Round of the NFL. John, as we begin, I'll ask you, with the 15 finalists for the Hall of Fame, wow, this looks like a loaded class. What was your impression of the 15? Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. I, I think you can look and see that uh, there could be you know three, maybe four first time guys going in. You know, you know that Peyton Manning's going to make it. You know that Charles Woodson's going to make it. The debate is going to be: was there enough years for Calvin Johnson to make it as a first year Hall of Famer? And that you know you you watch him play, and Megatron looked like a Hall of Famer, but he got out a little early, and so his numbers may not be equal to some of the other Hall of Famers. But you know he'll be a consideration. And then of course uh, Jared Allen with all the sacks that he had, he could go in there. If that's going to be the case, you know, you only have one other spot that uh, could be there. But, no, it's, 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 a, it's a very loaded class. I mean, you've got two great safeties, you know, John Lynch and, uh, you know, Butler, Leroy Butler. Yeah. You have good wide receivers. It's a, it's a really good class. And then, of course, on the other side, you know, finally we got the coaching thing going uh, for a couple years, and so we have the coach category, and now we're long waiting to get Tom Flores in, and he'll get in. Yeah, and I want to follow up with John Lynch again, the eighth time. Now, eighth time on that list, and I see Rondé Barber. And with the receivers, the receivers tend to line up, and even great receivers have to wait. You mentioned Calvin. Tim Brown had to wait a couple of years. It seems like the Hall of Fame and you as a voter and your colleagues, there is a structure for these people that have waited, and it seems like with the receivers over the last couple of years. Is that fair? Oh yeah, it's fair. And part of part of the problem is is that you tend to get uh, more wide receivers in certain positions, like you know pass rushers, receivers, and you know we've watched this play out for many many years. Like for example, I still remember with the wide receiver room, you know, it took uh, what seven years for Andre Reed to get in. But the problem is, it's not because he didn't deserve it. It's because you know you have four other or five other receivers that you're judging in that fifteen, and sometimes in that case it they take votes away from each other. And so uh, that becomes a problem. We saw it at the defensive end position with pass rushers. It took Derek Thomas longer. Art Monk, it took seven years. But it's not because they're not deserving. It's because, you know, sometimes if you have four or five, we watched that with the offensive linemen. You know, we had six offensive linemen when Joe Jacoby was still eligible to go in. And, of course, Joe then went over to the senior class because he had waited 25 years. And then finally we got to the point where we had five, and we had to wait a couple years before because they kept taking votes away from each other. But then finally we started getting the offensive linemen in. So we got Steve Hutchinson in. You know, we were able to get uh, Kevin Mawai in. Hopefully this year either Alan Fanica or uh, you know Tony Baselli makes it in. And if they do, one of them, then the other one who didn't get in should get in next year. But that's just one of the waiting periods because you know we have more than five each year who deserve to get into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. John Clayton's our guest. And, John, the theme for me all week is I'm not putting that much pressure on Lamar Jackson compared to some fans in the national media. He has such a long career in front of him, and you've seen quarterbacks get off the slow starts. Elway, when it came to the postseason, had bright moments but lost some Super Bowls. There's a lot of pressure on him not to have a dud, not to have a bad game against a very good Titan team. But that's one of the historical things about this game. Sometimes a young quarterback who has success early in his career you know, has to take a few years to be able to learn how to win those playoff games or how to have good playoff games. And we go back to Matt Ryan in 2008. 
know, he ended up having to go to his fourth year before winning his first playoff game because he won, he won, made the playoffs for three straight years, but did not be able to get the chance to uh, win the first three playoff games. We, we're seeing that with Lamar Jackson. We're, we'll see if that happens with Josh Allen because this will be his second playoff game because it's not easy to win in the playoffs. It's a different type of game, and you can see the problems that Lamar has had. So if he falls behind in a playoff game, it's tough. If he uh, doesn't get the chance to get the running game going as good as he can, then it also becomes tough. He's still learning, but he's got to crack that, whether it's going to be this year or next year, and getting that first playoff win. You saw when Dak Prescott was able to get that first playoff win, he started to play better and was more comfortable. But there's a lot of pressure. Maybe it's unfair, but that's what happens if you're a quarterback, particularly a talented one like Lamar Jackson, in the playoffs. John, leave us with this one, Stefanski, and the struggles of what Baker Mayfield could have. I would assume it'd be a heavy running game, and Baker's sharp. He could figure out play action, and they're going to get the plays in with Van Pelt. What should we look forward to in that Brown-Steelers game? Well, the big concern, I think, right now is how many guys are going to be able to play because technically, as of today, they still have seven players on the COVID's list, and you know there's some that aren't going to make it. We don't know about Denzel Ward, the cornerback. We don't know about Kevin Johnson, the cornerback. We know that Joel Batonio is not going to be able to go, and we also figure that uh, uh, B.J. I mean, Godson, BJ Goodson is not going to be able to go because he tested positive. And so if you're going to be down – five or six players, that's going to hurt. And if you're going to be down four or five coaches, including the head coach, that's going to hurt. And you're still playing in Pittsburgh, and that's not going to be easy. Thank you, John. Happy New Year. Thanks for doing this. Look forward to talking to you as always. Hey, thank you. So it's good to hear his voice again. And we have other interviews, and maybe we'll play some parts to other ones over this week. But I want to make sure we pay tribute to John Clayton because he had an effect on all of us. Every NFL fan... Every NFL player, every NFL insider, Hall of Famer, alumni. That is a damn good legacy. I don't know what your legacy is going to be. Mine's always a work in progress. But John Clayton, who was taken from us way too shortly, had a legacy that everybody could look up to and be proud of. To his family and his friends and everybody who was touched by his life. Godspeed to John Clayton. May he rest in paradise. He had a massive impact on my life. Every time I had a chance to interview him, I was walking around a few minutes before the interview with a nervous energy that I was talking to a legend. And I really appreciate the way he treated me and respected me. He was that type of guy. Man, I'm going to miss him. And I know we all are. We all are because of the impact that he had on television, radio, and print as just a pure NFL legend content provider. So that's it. It was very cool, Bobby, that you grabbed that interview because I asked you, we had about 13, 14 we had in the system. You picked that one. It was New Year's Day, I believe, or right right around January 1st or 2nd, whenever it was. But how cool was it that he talked about Coach Flores? Save that because that was when we were talking about that Hall of Fame class with Coach Flores. And he mentioned Coach Flores in there, knowing Charles Woodson, Megatron, Peyton Manning in that Hall of Fame class. I tell you, we lost out on a great interview with John Clayton from passing away on Cliff Branch because as we got closer, he was in the room. He was in the room that voted for Cliff Branch as Cliff Branch gets in. So John won't be there, and I'm sure he would have been invited and probably would have slid by the Cliff Branch party. Howard Balzer will join us at the bottom of the hour. He was great personal friends with John. I booked that over the weekend up in Tahoe when I was there, and 
Hey, March Madness, a couple of things on this. I have my bracket here in front of me as we talked about. I got Duke winning it all over Arizona. If you have a bad beat, if you have a win that you had, if you nailed St. Peter's, if you had a team that's in the tournament and still alive that you made some money on, let's hear from you this week because Vegas is the home of March Madness or a lot of people in town. My wife even went to Circa with her cousin out there at the pool insanity out there and I didn't go I was I was away with my buddy skiing but my wife went with her cousin and a couple of girlfriends and said that was special to see the crowd that was out there for that so exciting times here in Vegas Marc-Andre Fleury traded to the Minnesota Wild so I tweeted out over the weekend or but last week at the end of the week about this my contacts who are pretty tight with Fleury said that Fleury's agent was in play to bring him back here that was reliable information from someone connected with the Golden Knights and Flurry's agent. The talks were there. I, obviously, the Vegas Golden Knights did not want to go there again. I believe that's a mistake. We can agree to disagree. I'm just a Golden Knight fan. Love the team. And I think if they would have admitted they were wrong on letting Flurry go the first time and brought him back, again, I thought it would have been a great fit. Leonard's not getting it done. They don't have goalies at the level, uh, level of Flurry. And with the cap issues and what they would have had to give up and what Minnesota got, I don't think it would have been that big of a deal. Others will disagree, but I cannot believe that Marc-Andre Fleury left the Vegas Golden Knight franchise to have a cup of coffee with Chicago and now go to the Minnesota freaking wild when he should have stayed here the whole damn time and had an opportunity to win the cup. He won the Vesna Trophy. He won the Vesna Trophy and was, was let go. Now, again, I have a lot of respect for Mr. Foley and the organization. I could agree to disagree. They know a lot more about hockey than I do. But if we can go back in the hot tub time machine and find a way to get Flurry there for one more year and made it up in jersey and T-shirt sales and everything else to do it, I know their cap situation. I know how complicated it is. It could have happened. It could have happened financially, and I don't think that Vegas would have been in the tank over the last couple of weeks in the situation now fighting for their lives. Good news is they played well in the last couple of games to get back into this thing, and hopefully they can keep that momentum going. But the trade deadline is there. Also, I'll get into Deshaun Watson. Five-year, $230 million. Five years, $230 million for a dude who was under investigation for sexual misconduct. 230, and the guarantees here are incredible. Just going to show you there's another quarterback in the AFC, everybody. As much as I'm excited as the Raiders can be a Super Bowl contender, and they are, it's going to be just a gauntlet, an absolute gauntlet to get through that division and to get through the AFC. But Joe Burrow almost got there, and I think the Raider roster is better than the Bengals. I'll fight for that topic every day of the week. We'll talk to Howard Balzer at the bottom of the hour. Great friend and Hall of Fame voter with John Clayton. I think I'll have some emotion to this interview. And if you haven't talked to me in the last couple of days, let's get some calls in here on Devontae Adams. I just found out from the Raiders that press conference will be tomorrow. All the details on the exact time tomorrow afternoon on Devontae Adams being introduced. You'll get the full team coverage on the flagship of the Raiders. I'm sure we're going to carry it live to be on the air most likely at that time if it comes on early during our slot whenever it is and it's announced we'll tell you all about that we are brought to you by remy martin team up for excellence yes i had an old-fashioned for dinner and a chicken cutlet parm at the top of harvey's overlooking lake tahoe and i came back with my knees working and i didn't wipe out once 
Amen. Not getting any younger to go skiing the way I did, but it was great to have great new snow and enjoyed Tahoe over the weekend. Remy Martin, team up for excellence. It's a good football team. I think you look at Denver and Chargers and say these two teams are wild card playoff caliber teams. Not the Raiders. No, uh, still wondering about that defense. defense even with right Gus, now, e- yeah, even with Gus Bradley and the four or five new starters that are in there, that's not enough for you. Not for me, no, no. Okay, John and Clayton changes on the offensive line. That's one of my favorite recent John Clayton bites. Frequent contributor. Raiders ended up making the playoffs. We text about that. He was wrong, but I love that. I say, how about the Raiders? Nah. He, he was so consistent. There was no bias. If you didn't think your team was a playoff team, he told you. We're paying tribute to John Clayton, one of his great friends, Howard Balzer, the Hall of Fame voter, the insider on Sirius XM NFL Radio, covers the Cardinals, SI, everything that he's done. And, and Howard, I know you have a heavy heart. John was a great friend of yours, a guy you worked with over the decades. Tell me about your friendship with him and how tough of a loss this is. Wow, it, it's, it was just stunning. I mean, it was I'm, like it was, I'm sure, uh, to everyone uh, when we got the news late Friday. And, yeah, it, it goes back, wow. A long, long uh, time. And in fact, I was thinking the other day when I was at the Sporting News, and in 1981, when the baseball players went on, when baseball went on strike, and we were just in our infancy of covering, really, really doing a good job of covering football, which I had suggested they do a couple of years before that, and they went along with a lot of my ideas, thankfully. And at that point, they were saying, man, what are we going to do? We have all these baseball teams that file reports every week. What are we going to do now? And they came to me and said, do you think we could get NFL reports? And I said, sure. And John was one of my first guys uh, covering the Steelers uh, back then and became a kind of notorious guy in, in Pittsburgh in one of his first practices he ever covered when it was an OTA practice where the Steelers were in pads this was back in the early to mid-70s, and he just reported that they were in pads, which was against NFL rules, and I believe the Steelers lost the draft choice because of that. The team was mad at him. The fans were mad at him. The readers were mad at him. Why are you, why are you writing that? And you're saying, well, because they did it. I was reporting. You know, it's kind of old-school reporting, uh, JT. And he was a guy who wrote for me for years in Lindy's Magazine I put together and a, a great friendship We talk often a colleague on the pro football hall of fame uh, committee it's it's just hard to imagine that he's no longer no longer with us and so yeah it's a lot a lot of stories and but i'll tell you that that clip you just played made me think of one after the 99 regular season and you know the rams had taken the nfl by storm that year and he he still wasn't sold on the Rams. And I remember having a conversation with him, not on the air, but just in a, just, just on the phone uh, before the playoffs start. And he says, I don't know how, you know, I don't know about this Rams team. I'm not sure if they're really made to, to, to really do good in the playoffs. I said, John, I've seen this team every week. I've seen every game. 
This team is for real. Now, granted, in the playoffs, anything can happen, but don't sleep on this team. And, and of course, they end up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, but still, I mean, like all of us, we, you know, we, we state things we think is going to be, and many of them don't turn out the way we think. And that's the beauty of sports. Howard Balls, a longtime friend of John Clayton, as we continue to pay tribute to the professor. Tell me about his work ethic, because all you guys oh. – and especially those who are accomplished enough to be Pro Football Hall of Fame voters, you're all known for your connections and your work ethic. But his work ethic was a little bit different. I mean, this was a grinder updating his database, the relationships, the phone calls, getting to ESPN, to the highest level of ESPN as an insider. How hard of a worker was he? Uh, unbelievable. Just unbelievable. And we were similar in certain ways about those things with the details of what happens, what goes on in the NFL. For example, I mean, I have NFL rosters in my computer right now, JT, that are up to date, and I, I update them every day. And we would talk often about this or that. And, and I, I, I've always had this fascination with tracking, you know, things and like free agency and things like that. I mean, Peter King uh, referenced uh, some numbers that I kept during the COVID deal with every play. I tracked every player and how much time they missed when they were on the COVID list. That was John also. And we would talk often about those things in terms of, well, what'd you have for this guy? What'd you have for that guy? And in the, in the, in, in the old days when first round draft picks would routinely hold out, I would keep a running track of, okay, you know, how, who, who's held, who's held out? How many days did they miss? And we would talk, you know, during the week and at least once, sometimes more a week, you know, just going over because he would do the same thing. And we would go over our list. Okay, this guy reported what you got. And so those were the types of that's what that we kind of had a kinship uh, with those things. And that's what, you know, makes it makes it really hard that that he, he was he was just nonstop. He was just nonstop with keeping everything up to date. And yet the thing that most have said they treasure so much and what he did even doing all that and doing all the work and all the travel and all those things he was still there for his wife pat all the time Mm -hmm. who suffered with multiple sclerosis for years and would always that always make sure that she was taken care of spending time with her i remember one time we were talking about a show to do on sirius on a on friday evenings and we were trying to put it together, and I said, would you be interested? He says, well, Fridays are tough for, will be tough for me, he said, because that's, my date, that's our date night. No matter what happens, where I'm going, what's happening in the league, whatever it is, Friday is our date night. And I will not do a show or do anything that would interfere with that. And that is, is kind of a big part of what every realizes, what a guy he was beyond just what he did working for all these years. NFL insider Howard Balls, as we wrap it up, we pay tribute to John Clayton, a friend of mine, a much better friend with Howard Balls, or that's why we wanted to get your comments, Howard. What's it going to be like with him not being in the Hall of Fame selection room? What is Ooh. that fraternity like? What is it like to be in that room when you're really getting into the debate and someone's giving a presentation and you believe that he's not a Hall of Famer yet, that person believes it, you look over, you make contact, eye contact with John Clayton, you take a break, for lunch, you, you, I, I've seen this outside. You guys will break yeah. away and talk separately. What were those moments like, and what will you miss the most about that? Well, he, he was such a voice of reason. And when we would get in that room, I mean, everyone pretty much realizes that most of those guys are Hall of Famers. 
but he would he was that that voice of reason who would who would you know really be able to bring things down uh, you know and organize it and so, say that you know this is that player's time. Doesn't he would always say this is that player's time, and it doesn't mean that would always happen, but that was a big part of what he did. And and one thing I know you're running out of time. I want to I'll get to this quickly. The one thing that struck me is with him passing right here, right after the start of the league year. And the old, you know, so many of us that have been around since the 70s and have watched this league grow. And, but when reporting was really reporting, and it was, it was kind of ironic to me that it happened in this week when we still see how, how the reporting in the NFL has changed so much that we have national report, national insiders that I understand relying on agents for information about contracts, but at least report what the contracts really are instead of having a race to get it on Twitter. And, you know, the agents group text a lot of these guys and say, Hey, here's the, here's the numbers that the agent wants out. And even if some of those guys know that those numbers really aren't a true reflection of the contract, they don't ask questions. They just put it on Twitter because that's all about to be the first one. And that was not John Clayton. And I think that's, that's one of, the, one of the, the great things about him and many other reporters, quote, back in the old school days where you reported, you want to make sure that it was right and accurate. Doesn't mean you, you, doesn't mean you, ever, got, you never got anything wrong, but you worked to make sure that it was as accurate as possible it wasn't a it's now in the moment time you're writing for a newspaper and you know you know you were just hopeful that the other beat writer in town didn't have the same you know did he have the same info because you wouldn't know until the next day when the paper came out now you know instantaneously and i'll just tell you one quick story jt that happened at the combine i was sitting near a reporter who was working on a story about the nfl and the nflpa lifting the covid protocols and this reporter got it on their own. They weren't fed the information. They got it on their own. And all of a sudden, the reporter punches the air with a fist and says, yeah. And I said, what was that all about? And the person said, I beat Tom Pelissaro by one second with my tweet. Oh. And that, to me, said it all about where we are right now in this media world and how much it has changed. And as the old school guys kind of drift away and aren't involved anymore, it's, it's, it's not the greatest. It really isn't. Because in the long run, the people reading it and getting the information, in a lot of cases, aren't getting the full story. But it's become so much more about who gets it first and beats the other guy by a few seconds. It's pretty incredible. Our John Clayton tribute, I'll end on a football note because I think John would appreciate us talking football in real time. The Deshaun Watson guarantees, considering what he was accused of, is insanity to me, but I like him. I think he is a great player. Matt Ryan to the Colts. And did Baker Mayfield start a lot of this, considering if he just would have kept to himself instead of that goodbye letter to Cleveland, that maybe he stays and it's not used to give more to Deshaun Watson? And now Baker yeah. could have been in Atlanta and Matt Ryan's gone. I mean, this is. This is the best off-season quarterback carousel I've seen, maybe in your entire career. Read into this what you think with all these moves. You're 100% right, and I think he would still be in Cleveland if he had just did what Jimmy Garoppolo did, 
through some tough times and with, with all the rumors and all this and all that, and then drafting a guy third overall, he just put his nose to the grindstone and said, Hey, I'm going to compete for the job. And if Baker had just done that, he'd probably still be in Cleveland and who knows which team Deshaun Watson would have picked, but he wouldn't have gotten that guaranteed money as much guaranteed money as he did. And it's definitely set some dominoes in motion. But now you say, man, where is Baker Mayfield going to land? Because now teams have seen what, what Cleveland was beginning to find out about the guy. And it's, it's pretty wild, but it also reminded me back to the whole agent issue with contracts that now it's gotten so much about doing the bidding and promoting agents that these guys are not only saying, well, you know, Deshaun Watson got $80 million more guaranteed than anybody else. It's a record. And then mention who the agent was and what, what the name of his firm. I mean, does the reader really care about who the agent is? I don't think so, but it's all about pleasing those guys because if they don't, then their sources might dry up. But, yeah, back to the football, who knows what's next because, you know, the, the options for some guys are obviously dwindling, and, and you wonder what happens with Baker Mayfield, what happens with Garoppolo, what does, you know, what does Seattle do? Are uh, they going to try to bring in someone else again, uh, uh, opposite Drew Locke? So, like I said, the musical chairs are, are still going, but – Pretty soon, JT, is going to run out of chairs. Thank you, Howard. Thanks for sharing some memories about John Clayton. I know you have a heavy heart. Appreciate you making time for me. My pleasure, JT. Take care. Howard Balzer, NFL insider, Hall of Fame voter, a guy who hired John Clayton. Really important interview there. And as I looked up at the end of this interview, ESPN was doing a feature on him, uh, again on a replay about the impact that he had on his career. Incredible that we lost John Clayton because – On a personal note, I thought there were a lot of conversations coming up with him this summer with the Hall of Fame, the class coming in, and for years to come, may John Clayton rest in peace as we continue our tribute to the professor, John Clayton. 702-365-9200. Got a lot to catch up on after I was gone for the weekend, especially the Devontae Adams deal. If you have something you want to say about this deal, hit me before the top of the hour. 702-365-9200. Could Marcus Mariota be the starter in Atlanta? Looks that way. Did the Raiders get enough value, or should should have they got value from them last year for this? Murray stayed in the front court. Brown shot fake, moves to the left. His three is blocked by Nadefo. He saves it to Banks, and Murray State will not foul. The celebration is on. Folks, in seven seconds, history for St. Peter's. They're jumping up and down. Two seconds, one second, it's over. The Peacocks did it again. First they stunned Kentucky. Now they topple Murray State 70-60. to And St. Peter's, who had never won a tournament game, is now off to the Sweet 16. They become the third 15 seed ever to head to the Sweet 16. Folks, the St. Peter's Peacocks, they are why we love March. Westwood one on the call. St. Pete's has moved on. JT here. How's your March Madness doing? And the March Madness, I flew in. I had some travel issues, nothing crazy, but to some it would be crazy. And I flew in 
after a delay flying through Reno, and I got to the Vegas airport, and I saw so many men of March Madness, I call them the men of the Fraternal Order of Khaki Pants, so banged up in the airport. To what, You have to see it. If you don't see it, you don't know what I'm talking about. We've all, those who have when you watch the guys leaving Vegas after just plowing through March Madness, losing their money, uh, one of my friends lost seven games by a half a point when it comes to the, to the spread and bad beats. And people are just, I don't, want, I don't want to say humiliated, but some of the guys I saw walking through the airport just getting off the tram and looking for their gate, you would think they were in Vegas for three months. They are just dying to get home. But you still got to make it to the airport. You still got to get on that flight. You still got to get back and tell your significant other what you did for three or four nights here, how much money you lost, where you ate, what clubs, wink, wink, you went to, and uh, how much money you spent on beer. Now, how much money you didn't bring home. Look, a lot of people come out here to Vegas for the NCAA tournament just to have fun and make a donation. They're not here to win a lot of money. But when you see some of these sharps, and the people now who are trying to make money off of you by giving you picks and they literally don't watch college basketball, but they feel like they have to give you a pick because if not, they're not in the pick business. So people who are overexposed to cover the NFL or college football, instead of passing on that March Madness, they're, t- they're giving you two games a day to pick and they know nothing. You know tons more about that. We see that all the time. And that's the downside of this business. If you want to make money gambling. A couple other big games. Michigan. Remember, Juwan Howard was suspended for five games for that slap punch. So he missed the end of the regular season. And his team is playing hard for him. Michigan is jumping around. They're off to the Sweet 16. They beat the Volunteers 76-68. That's a great win on Westwood 1. Michigan gets by. They beat Colorado State. And then a Tennessee team that many people had in the Final Four. Michigan will go up against Villanova next. A lot of UCLA fans, a ton of UCLA fans who are here in Las Vegas excited about this team, pushed pretty hard to a limit, give UCLA a lot of credit for coming back. Here's Riley with the dagger shot. Three to shoot, finds Riley left corner, has to fire a three ball, and hit it! Cody Riley lasers in the three. That's the dagger for UCLA. UCLA, all these calls on Westwood 1. Beating St. Mary's, who I never believe. I never believe in the WCC. I never believe in these small conferences. I don't. I, I agree with, I, I look at Gonzaga, they're different. The rest of that, give me a break. Give me a break that anybody's ever been scared of St. Mary's unless you go back to the 60s. You're still playing St. Mary's who have limited players when it comes to UCLA and some of these other programs. UCLA, going forward, will go up against North Carolina who's playing really well. You know, Gonzaga, they always get... Gonzaga's a team that struggles early in the tournament, and they did in their last game. Timmy came through, their leader, their senior center with a big shot. Demhard will inbound baseline right, lobs it up the right lane line to Timmy. Watched by Dandridge. Timmy rips it through, dribbles left, spins right, jump hook in the paint, got it again, and Gonzaga has taken the lead, their first lead since it was 25-24 at the five-minute mark of the first half. Wow, they were pushed. They were pushed really hard by Memphis, and that's what happens to Gonzaga. Now Gonzaga is going to get a couple of days off to get their legs underneath them again. Hopefully they're ready to go. Uh, Gonzaga, I'd love to see Gonzaga win the NCAA tournament. I've been rooting for them for years to get it done. All they need is one. Mark View gets one. 
He'll join Jim Beheim with one, Tom Izzo with one, John Calipari with one. All you got to do is win one, and they're a favorite to get it done again. But Duke is the team I picked to win it all because I believe in storybook endings, and this could be a storybook ending. They were down late to Michigan State. It did not look good, but the stars showed up down the stretch when they needed big buckets. Bancaro down along the left baseline, forced his way by Joey Hauser and powers it in off the glass, and Duke has a lead by one. Duke was able to get back into that game, take the lead late, and hold on. So Coach K is still alive with a couple of K's, uh, days off. Final call as Duke beats Michigan State. Duke Blue Devils headed to San Francisco and the Sweet 16. They knock off Michigan State 85-76. to 76. Russell would won on the call. I said that in the opening show of the show if you weren't there. If you live in the Bay Area, you get a chance to go see Coach K one last time at Chase Center where Steph Curry and the Warriors play. I don't know what the buy-in's going to be there. I'll look into that. Our, we got a lot of Bay Area listeners streaming. Raider fans, go to that game. Go see Coach K one last time and get a chance to see them go up against Texas Tech here if they have the opportunity to win that game and then get all the way for an opportunity to go to the Final Four. That's where I have them. Coach K, after the game, really coached his guts out, but he didn't take the credit. He gave it to the players. I'm incredibly cr- proud of my guys. This was a – you guys were terrific, man. I'm so – I'm really proud to be your coach. You know, that it had nothing to do with coaching in those last four or five minutes. It all had to do with heart and togetherness. And uh, they followed their hearts, and God bless them. Uh, you know, we're in the Sweet 16. So you can ask them questions. You think he's pretty emotional, Coach K, on the way out? Iowa State, T.J. Otzelberger. Leaves UNLV to go to Iowa State. Now, I'm a Kevin Kruger guy because I'm a Lon Kruger guy. I wish those guys nothing but the best. But what type of look is this for UNLV? I talked to a UNLV alumni about this. You know, Otzelberger didn't want to be here. He goes to a better situation at Iowa State. I am in shock because I've been in this market since 96. I cannot believe that Iowa State. Have you been there? Compared to the Vegas Strip and UNLV, that Iowa State has a team in the Sweet 16 and UNLV didn't get to the NIT. Now, UNLV will get to the tournament with Kevin Kruger. But give credit to where credit's due with Iowa State. Iowa State, who won two games all of last season, has won two games in upset fashion in Milwaukee the next year. And the Cyclones are going to the Sweet 16 for the first time since 2016. 54-49, the final score. How is that possible? How is that possible? that that could happen there. What a coaching job. What a turnaround. And Miami wins. I like Miami. Miami beat USC and Auburn as they get to the Sweet 16 in impressive fashion. Now here's a long jumper by Cook around the rim. No good rebound. Miami, it's over. The Canes dominate and knock off the Auburn Tigers 79-61. to Jim Laranega and the Hurricanes are headed to the Sweet 16 next weekend in Chicago, Illinois. They'll take on Iowa State. Well, I had the coach on my show last night, and he was pretty excited about it. Hey, thanks a lot for helping out with this John Clayton tribute. I want to do that, and we'll have a couple other interviews later in the week. And Devontae Adams' press conference tomorrow, that's going to be a big deal for our flagship. One of the biggest players, most successful players ever to come to the Raiders in regards to this move and the trade. 
We'll have full team coverage of that all the way in morning drive up until Vinny at night. So hopefully you have a good day today, the rest of the day. Recovering from March Madness, thanks to Bobby for putting the show together. Howard Balzer, our guest, who was fantastic. And Fred Bolitnikoff, that'll be up at Raiders.com. Please check that out.